0: come from a family of, of entrepreneurs in different uh, areas and so I just assumed that you you went to school, you you figured out how to figure stuff out and then you graduated and tried to find something to do.
1: Hi everybody, happy new year. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. Today we spent some time with Mark Bushala. Uh I love his spirit. Talk about taking advantage of opportunities. Has some great lines in here about You know, the market was hungry for opportunity and some risks that he took at the age of 23 to go to Poland and look for uh, and help his business find those opportunities, starting businesses, starting a restaurant. He shares a great story, starting a restaurant in 1994 without ingredients and how to grow herbs. We, we journey back to Miami uh, when he was there and you know, the importance of Miami and learning how to deal with people and connect and communicate with people. And he gives a big shout out to Laws Hall too. And we extend the conversation to what he's been doing the last 10 years. And moving into the spirits category and in the venture space, and looking for product that has unbelievable taste to satisfy a need in the market, but then also power it with marketing. Uh, he certainly did that with Angel's Envy. If you haven't had it, try it, it's unbelievable. And now, most recent, with a partnership with Bob Dylan, who's a co founder and equity stakeholder with Heaven's Door. A product they launched in May of this year, or May, I guess, of last year, 2018, and raised $35 million to do so. It's a great conversation. He's really smart. You can learn a lot, and I uh, hope you really enjoy it. Have a great day. Enjoy the pod.
0: From memory, I think my first Spirits deal probably started... Um, I want to say eight or nine years ago. Okay. And it was a bit of a, a bit of happenstance in that um, a business partner and several other ventures um, from my time in Eastern Europe um, had called and said, I've got something that I think could be really interesting. Uh, it's a spirit deal. And I just was immediately dismissive because I think at the time, you know, everybody was making rounds with a business plan to be the next Great Goose or the next Patron. And it seemed like a, a lot of people just jumping in because they thought it was easy money. And you know, everyone points to the successful deals and not the, you know, not the, the road littered by the corpses—the ones that didn't didn't succeed. Uh, and he said, "Well, this is different. This is this is going to be in the whiskey space. And if you look at the category, you know, no one's running at it with anything new, um, different positioning, uh, different way of thinking. And I think that there's some great opportunity. Just you know." Look at look at the category and let me know what you think. So you know, d- d- both entrepreneurs do. You go on online and start looking at case studies and sector reports. And I was just blown away by the fact that the multiples for a successful business were like uh, like software exits, and they were typically tied to re- revenue multiples of anywhere from six to ten times revenue. And it it seemed at first blush that the you know, no no real barriers to entry and low capital costs. So it sounded like an interesting opportunity. And the reason he was presenting it was that there was um, a master distiller of some renown that um, really wanted to, uh, you know, be part of a a business that he owned equity in. He was a master distiller for Brown Foreman for 40 years and wanted to come out of retirement and and have some equity in in, uh, a whiskey that he owned. So it sounded interesting. Um, the, the thought, the immediate thought was it's as much about the marketing as it is about the liquid. And we had um, a friend and colleague that was a, a very well-known uh, advertising executive, um, a guy named Alex Bogusky. His firm, Crispin Porter Bogusky, had um, won tons of awards for their creative work, very smart shop. And Alex had sold his agency, he and his partners, and their view was we've done a great job of, of making our clients really rich, you know, we like to own, own, equity in brands. And, um, so we went to them and said, you know, this is something that, you know, you'd want to be involved in. And they loved it because their view was it's all marketing. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they thought that was going to be the secret sauce. And it's probably, uh, you know, one foot firmly planted in the quality of the product and package and then the brand, um, and then a whole bunch of other things that are important uh, to, to be successful. So we, we had the, the beginnings of a, a team. We knew the category. Um, we knew we could produce some good product, and we knew we'd come up with some pretty clever uh, packaging and, and brand positioning. Um, so the rest of that, that equation was you know, figuring out a sales network and distributorship and all those other ways sausage gets made. And we had a team of about four different um, equity partners, each bringing different expertise to, that, um, to the business, and through, through some process of discovery and learning the business, um, kind of aligned on where we wanted to be with a product and a brand name that we thought um, was interesting and, and, a, and a package that was clearly different than everything else in the marketplace. And that was, yeah, half So six, six months from, let's put this band together, to this is what it could look like, and um our first product, Angels Envy, was kind of born from that collaboration,
1: and certainly well known and well respected since. But so go back, be, go back when you got that opportunity. W- what what were you doing right then? Were you, it's in the in the investment space, in real estate space,
0: and obviously not in the spirit space. I in a couple different spaces. So okay. I I began began professional life as a real estate developer. Um, that took me to Eastern Europe. When the wall fell, uh, I, I saw an opportunity to go overseas and really be part of, um, figuring out what the the next look of Eastern Europe could be. Um, you know, and I figured out it could be, I, I could buy three flats or I could build office buildings, but they had to, they had to need just about everything. Um, and that wasn't wrong. I got over to Poland three months after the wall fell and, uh, it was like a black and white film. Um, there, you know, the shelves were still bare. Uh, everything was great. Anything Western. And so I spent a good part of um, the first few years there really focused on uh, developing Class A office buildings with my partners in, in Chicago and partners in, in Poland. And in that time, was constantly saying, oh, we should be doing, you know, fill in the blank. We should be importing Levi's jeans or selling fax machines or just about everything that the market was hungry for. And uh, my colleagues in the States said, kept telling us, yeah, we're real estate developers. I, I'm, I'm sure there's a need for those things, but that's not what we do. Uh, you know, and as a 20-something, you know, pretty, pretty much fresh out of college, it, just wanted to, to run at everything that felt like a good opportunity. So um, within due course, I, I left the real estate development business to focus on entertainment media properties. Uh, and from that, and lots of other developments and projects. So everything from music television, um, which we sold ultimately to uh, MTV, uh, to uh, bowling centers, family entertainment centers, multiplex cinemas, you, you name it. If you could think of something that worked in the U.S., uh, you could probably introduce it in, in Poland and throughout the region. Um, and as long as you, you figured out how to not get screwed, um, you could find a path to success. And, so there was a, yeah, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, I, I was going to say there was, a, there was a whole kind of dog's breakfast of, of businesses across entertainment media, um, not so much in, in consumer product, um, but that you know, putting together different teams and working on opportunities is what kind of led me into that spirit space with one of my old business partners. Mm.
1: And, and you went, and you're talking about when you're in your 20s and you were. Uh, eager for what the market market was hungry for. Did you always have that bug? Was that something that you had as a high schooler and then at Miami, or is it something that once you got into business, you started to see you were reading, you were learning, you understood opportunity,
0: and wanted to take advantage of it? I'd say more the latter. I my I, I guess I come from a family of, of entrepreneurs in different uh, areas, and so I just assumed that you you went to school you you figured out how to figure stuff out and then you graduated and tried to find something to do. Uh, I remember, um, everyone, you know, trying to try to create job applications and getting rejection letters. And I just figured like, I'd get to Chicago and I would, um, I'd start a business. And I didn't really know what it would be, uh, but I, I liked real estate and I thought that that would be something that I, you know, I could, I could certainly figure out on my own. So that's what I did when I, when I got to, um, to Chicago. And realized, you know, it helps to have some income so you can pay your rent and eat. Um, so <laughs> that, that part of the equation was missing from my plan. Um, and ultimately, I, I joined a firm, a um, development company, which uh, was interested in going overseas. And, and they saw the opportunity in uh, in Poland, particularly, and throughout the region. Um, so I think that at the end of the day, they needed, uh, they needed someone in the company that was expendable. And that was, certainly was me. Uh, at twenty three years old happy to you know pack a suitcase and go anywhere and um, and frankly, I think anyone with a maybe a different temperament would have would have burnt out pretty quickly because these were not not the most uh, hospitable environments to to move to and you know I certainly saw a lot of expats come over with big companies and six months later they were they were moving back back home yeah what was the hardest part for you
1: in that uh, going to Eastern Europe and trying to learn business?
0: Uh, well, I guess everything was broken to begin with. So that, that was the opportunity. Um, there wasn't a, a culture or an understanding of business as usual. It didn't exist. Um, and you know, I, I think that you just constantly had to fight the, uh, the idea that it's, it's impossible. There's a Polish expression. it's not, it's not possible. And that could be just about anything. Can I, ask the hotel if you can get an extra towel, it's impossible. So you can imagine asking if you could, you know if if you could build a building, you know, property rights were unknown. The state owned everything. Um, so literally you you were writing the rules as you went and it was it was cumbersome, but it was also the biggest opportunity. Yeah, and I'm sure the biggest
1: learning because you had to you had to do everything and explore all sides of it.
0: Absolutely. I, I opened a restaurant in, um, in Warsaw in in 1994, 95. And, uh, there were no ingredients. I mean, you, you couldn't find, uh, just about anything that we'd need. So we literally started having, just having to grow our own herbs, um, bring back ketchup and, and hot sauce and suitcases, um, because they weren't being imported at the time. Um, and you know, the upside was, you could you could get it pretty wrong, and there was an eager market that were just so happy that they could get a, a tortilla or a, a bowl of chili. That uh, if you tried to do that now and you weren't good out of the gates, you you're done. Uh, the market got very sophisticated quickly. Um, I think we got a lot of do overs until we got it right. But that, yeah, that was the market. It was a really exciting place to be at at, at a young age where. Capital was interested in backing entrepreneurs, and they would they would seek you out and say, you know, we want to do this. Would you be our partners? And that's uh, pretty much the inverse of, of the way it is in the U.S., where you've got an idea and you've got to go out and get people on board to give you money. <laughs> that's
1: amazing. And you talked a little bit about Miami and just figuring it out and then landing in Chicago like so many Miamians have. How, what about the the friends and colleagues from Oxford that you still interact with, stay in touch with, people that you have even done business deals with, or the relationships from 30
0: years ago to those relationships now? Uh, I, I don't know if my experience is unique or not, but it, certainly there's a core group of friends that we made at Miami that have remained really close friends to uh, with today, but, in fraternity, I played soccer at Miami. Those, those groups of guys are, are great friends. And, you know, in our, in our I guess I'm not going to say what our age is, but we're at a point where a lot of them are, are, have enjoyed some success and um, it's kind of fun to have ventures that uh, your friends can participate in. So I, I think in, um, in Angel's Envy and Heaven's Door, I, I've got a good dozen friends that are, are investors with me. That's great. And when you when you think
1: back to your time at Miami and just figuring it out, and you said you were already interested in real estate, is there something you did that you look back and say, that really helped me uh, as I moved into my 20s in Chicago? <laughs> or, is, or is there something that you didn't do that you look back and say, I wish I had? It's
0: hmm. um, a good question. I've got a son who's... Um, going to college next year, and he doesn't believe me, as most sons don't believe their dads, um, that you don't really graduate with a a pool of knowledge that's going to be directly applicable. Um, And I told him I went to business school, and I don't know if I learned anything (laughs) that prepared me for life outside of the university. And it's a a bit uh, hyperbolic, but in reality, you know, it's, it's learning how to deal with people. It's learning approaches to thinking, I, I, you know, outside maybe an introductory accounting course, um, you know, I don't know that necessarily I left saying I've got a great insight from that class and I'm going to go and, and leverage it. Um, so, you know, my, my advice is, you know, pick a school that feels right for you in terms of the people and the size and everything else. And, and you know, that's, that should be a, a core focus. Um, when I'm interviewing people I, I don't even know if I look where they went to school it's about who's the person on the other side of the desk that I'm talking to um, but I think it's very different from the messaging that they're told so um, for me you know Miami was a great place for that because the people that I hung around with were very kind of like-minded even if they went to work for big businesses and um, you know that notion that you can go out and and start your own thing and figure it out oh, you know what I'm wrong I, I took laws hall and which I, I hope is still a program at Miami, yep. and that the, the student-run advertising agency that by far was the most uh, applicable because you were it was a business and your your peers uh, were your work colleagues and you, you were pitching to professionals in their own industry um, and and hopefully with some insights that were actually commercial. So I thought that was a great learning experience, and um, you know I would certainly say. It, That's a a great, great kind of uh, endeavor, and I I hope that Miami has more of those kind of programs because those real-life experiences are invaluable. Yeah.
1: No, I think, and I was just back on campus a little bit ago, it's unbelievable what they've done in Oxford and the Farmer Business School and taking more stuff out of the classroom into practical experiences so people can really understand how to work versus just the... I guess business discipline that
0: comes with yeah. the name of a class really important. Yeah. Well, that's, that's phenomenal, and and obviously your visits back to Miami have um, been richer than mine. I, I don't know that beyond going to Skipper's and um, you know, going and getting a bagel and a slice of pizza, uh, I, I haven't looked too much as to what the <laughs> curriculum is these days, but it's always wonderful to go back.
1: Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, I still will do Bagel and Deli, Bruno's and Skipper's too. I mean, that, that might be the first yes. and last spot, but maybe something <laughs> Absolutely. Else. You mentioned, at, in just a, in a comment before, Heaven's Door, and that's obviously the, the latest venture in your world or one of. Um, take a second here and talk about how that came about and what you're doing with that opportunity. I'm
0: sorry, what was the question
1: again? As it relates to Heaven's Door um, and the product now, and you talked about having a dozen classmates and friends from Miami along the ride in this venture, so... Just a bit more about that business and the partnership with Bob Dylan and what you're taking to market.
0: Right. So, you know, there, there was lots of ways to raise capital for a venture, um, typically for the types of deals that we're doing as startups. Um, we're raising money through friends and family and, and those networks uh, versus a, a private equity or a venture capital fund or typically investors that would look for uh, maybe a, a business that's already uh, generating revenue. Um, so once you've got that business plan and, and going through your Rolodex and talking to people who you really, really want to be successful when you're, you're, you're getting your friends and your family to put money in your deals, you've got to have a lot of conviction. Um, so I think partially on the heels of the success of Angel's Envy, um, uh, people were far more enthusiastic to believe that uh, you know, we could repeat that success. Um, so we raised a lot of money for this venture, um, about a $35 million capital raise, which for a spirits deal is, is a pretty significant amount. Um, and we launched that product in, um, in May of this year. Um, Bob Dylan is a, is a founder and equity partner in the business. And certainly that, um, is a huge added benefit in terms of driving awareness and, and trial. Um, so we got a tr- tremendous amount of PR when we announced, um, have in and Bob's involvement, and uh, you know we have a very long-term view of the business. It's uh, it's a passion project. Um, you know, no one doesn't need to sell the company, um, so we're looking at just putting out great products and, and being proud of what we build. And success certainly should follow if you achieve those two goals.
1: Yeah, no, Bob is a, is a great character. We worked with, I worked with Bob in a TV campaign for IBM Watson. Uh, oh yeah! several years ago, and uh, certainly, as you said, added a tremendous amount of uh, marketing buzz and publicity for the
0: campaign itself. Right. It was fascinating because I don't know that you can come up with a product or a category that seems more inherently at odds with the personality of Bob Dylan than IBM. Um, but it, it was very successful.
1: Yeah. We, we had several in there that were unique in their own way, Sharon. The storytelling was great. And so what's, what's next for you? Is it uh, how much of your world still is in development from real estate projects versus spirits only, or are you still in the, whatever the market is hungry for?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's taken me a long time to get disciplined enough to say no to a great opportunity. Uh, and I probably only can say it because of you know, limited bandwidth. But I, I, I'm still very much interested in doing more in Spirits, and we've got a couple projects in the works. Um, we, I'm still doing real estate, but I'm um, very opportunistic in, in the kind of projects that we do. And I'm in the food and beverage business as well, so with restaurants um, and special event spaces uh, solely focused in Chicago. Um, and there's an intersection of, of those businesses um, in, in hospitality. I'll be doing a, a boutique hotel project in Nashville, which will be um, tangentially involved with the, the brand center and distillery we're building for Heaven's Door.
1: Cool. And, and just a kind of a closing thought here, just on venture and venture capital and and the buzzwords of the day. And we certainly are at an all time high of entrepreneurs and founders. And at the moment, it seems like I don't want to say endless capital, but there's there's a lot of capital out there. Um, Oftentimes when we get to that point, we, maybe people are starting to think, is there too much here? I'm curious just your thoughts to those that are investing in startups as well as those that are entrepreneurs looking to raise capital, things that they need to consider or be aware of in the market.
0: Well, not all capital is the same for sure and it's, it's an obvious statement, but i don 't know that people appreciate the differences and when you're starting a first business uh, or even at your your tenth um, an enthusiastic well capitalized partner it's hard to to you know look look down your nose at, um, but you really have to understand what what is the makeup of that partner what are they bringing are they bringing um, just capital are they Are they really bringing expertise? Because I've had lots of VC partners that seem to have lots of sector expertise, but they also have lots of deals and how much are you going to rely on that expertise for building your business and how much autonomy will you have? Um, And some capital can be very fickle and, and you need people who are very much aligned with what you want to do with the business uh, and have the constitution that when things aren't going right to be solution oriented. So, you know sometimes with um, with BC, if it doesn't look like it's going to be that 12 x return that they hoped, they can decide to put their focus and capital somewhere else pretty quickly. Um, so I, I tend to like having um, high net worth individuals for early stage businesses um, because while it's while their capital is very important to them, um, they're not driving strategic decisions. And, yeah, you know, you'd end up with a lot more partners, so you've got a lot more people to manage, but you still get to largely be in the driver's seat. And that, at this stage of where I am, is, is pretty important. Um, early on, having a partner that's bringing capital and know-how was, was very important. But there's also trade-offs, right? You, you may not have the final say in a split decision, and that's, that's a tough lesson to learn. Mm.
1: And give me the, the final marketing plug for Heaven's Door. Why Heaven's Door over the other?
0: Mm. Well, when we, when I first started talking to, to Bob, the, the point was that this has to be all about the whiskey and that whiskey drinkers are going to be cynical if there's a celebrity attached to it. So uh, he's not the brand and the, the quality of the liquid is paramount. And that was music to his ears because he didn't want to be the brand. And in fact, we, we even talked about whether it would even be apparent to people whether he was involved or not. Um, so... This when we kind of aligned on this idea of using Dylan's artwork as visual artwork, nothing to do with his music as the inspiration for our bottle design and talking about the kind of this positioning where art meets craft and and collaboration with great master distillers from all over the country, it was something that really resonated um, so you know we don't bury the lead that this is his product, but it's not about him it's about great whiskey and we, we spent a ton of time on liquid innovation, and we when we finally uh, came out, we had the top five whiskey critics in the country uh, rave about the liquid that was gold. like this this can only do well if we continue to put out great great whiskey. And so we're, that's, that has always been our focus, and will be going forward. Something has to be different and unique about it. Um, the fact that Bob is involved gets you PR and the buzz but if you try it and you don't love it you're not going to buy a second bottle so we're, we think we've kind of um, achieved that uh, with Have Store
1: That's a pretty cool pod to kick off 2019 thanks Mark thanks for taking the time cool story on how to use Bob Dylan and understanding that he doesn't want to be an endorser and also maybe the brand category and consumers of product don't want him to be an endorser and so tying visual design and art meets craft and collaboration with distillers uh, to make a difference in the marketplace. I am sure Heaven's Door will crush it like Angel's Envy. And everyone take a lookout for what Mark is doing next. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. See you at Skippers.